gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice. The superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the hall of justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is episode 181, and this is, yes, we are in, still in quarantine. But luckily, today's guest was recorded a while ago. And you know what? This podcast is my favorite thing to do. Don't tell anybody who listens to Sports with Friends. But uh, getting the chance to meet people who are truly kind is something that I like. Steve Gutenberg is a guy who we all remember from movies and television. And he has been in dozens of things. I mean... Obviously, Police Academy. I mean, we all remember Police Academy. We all grew up with Police Academy. I could watch that movie and I could transport myself uh, back into the 1980s. He was in Three Men and a Baby. He was in Short Circuit. I remember all of these. But I know him from my all-time favorite movie. And that's not something I say lightly. And I usually think that superhero movies kind of get a pass um, but my all-time favorite movie is Diner, and Steve Gutenberg played Eddie, and that is the movie where Paul Reiser and Mickey Rourke and Daniel Stern and Tim Daly all got their start, and they were amazing. It just it was it's a coming of age film, um, and I saw it when I was a young adult. I didn't see it when it came out. I was too young. Uh, but I saw it, and it was a very influential movie for me, and it's a movie that makes me very, very proud of my upbringing. Uh, Diner, to me, is hysterical, and it's funny, and all I wanted to do was talk about Diner. We were at Wizard World in Chicago, and that's a Comic-Con. And boy, I think a lot of people listening going, oh my goodness, I want Comic-Cons back. I really do, and I do too. Trust me, I really, really do. But Wizard World uh, had me do a panel with Steve Gutenberg. And all I wanted to talk about was Diner. So you'll hear my voice. You'll be as soon as I sneak Diner into the conversation, I I, I get absolutely thrilled. <laughs> I mean that that is how this all changed for me. And we hit it off. We really, really hit it off. As a matter of fact, after the panel. Uh, we decided to record more of the podcast, and that was funny, too. And I, When I come back after the panel, I'll come back and make sure you stay tuned because then it becomes an exclusive, like, one-on-one, -on -one, just him and I chit-chatting. And the reason why I have to play that at the end is it references the panel, and I couldn't do that out of order. It, does, it doesn't make sense out of order. So without further ado, this is from Wizard World Chicago, 
my conversation with the great Steve Gutenberg. How's everybody doing? All right, he's in the back. So can we, when I, next time I do it, can you say it louder so he's, he hears you? How's everybody doing out there? There you go. Very nice, very nice. Today's panel is uh, with a guy who we've all seen in so many films growing up. Uh, we've all seen Police Academy. We've all seen Short Circuit. We've all seen Cocoon. And he was in Diner. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Gutenberg. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the stock market because this is, seems like it just seems like such a formal setting. Yeah, well, this is like, a very official place. It's like the G7 meeting or yeah. something. And who's from Denmark? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody. We're not buying Greenland. We're not buying Greenland. I but, promise. But sometimes you go on political shows. I've seen that. I have been on political shows. Are you comfortable doing those kinds of things? I like make a living. <laughs> oh, you mean on the, on the show? Uh, yeah, I'm comfortable. You know, the truth is, I'm an independent. And I love my country. My father is a U.S. Army Ranger uh -huh. and an ex-Special uh, Ops New York City policeman. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And I tell him, thank you for your service every day. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then, of course, he serves me. My father right. actually serves me breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I say, thank you for your service. And eventually, and, you'll be serving him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, no, I, uh, I, I, I don't find that political shows really are about politics, but they're really about how do we make where we live better? Mm -hmm. And then everybody's got a point of view about that. But who cares? We're in show business. F politics. <laughs> I'm here to dress up in an outfit. I want to wear an outfit. So, all right, so let's start there. Like uh, you see Chewbacca. all the costumes. Chewbacca, yeah. old school. You could play that off because, I let's face it. it, you know, when you're in the Chewbacca costume, yeah. you could leave, get a replacement, and at the end of the day, you'd say how great Comic-Con was. No one would know, but that would be, a li that would be not right. Are you that kind of guy? Oh, oh wait a minute. I so wait, this is a Boy Scout panel? Yeah, this is a Boy Scout <laughs> panel. But I'm very, you know, I've heard that you're a great interviewer. So I'm very, very okay. excited about today. And everybody else is too. They've been waiting for you. Oh, yeah, so yeah I'm they're sure. Waiting, they're ho hoping that, you know. There's a, a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. pressure. All right, I, 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 we can obviously start at the, 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 the highlights and play the hits. But you happen to have been a central figure in my all-time favorite movie. Which one? Diner. Oh, yeah, Diner. Can yeah, we do a couple of minutes on Diner? Yeah. Well, it, Diner was one of my first movies. I was very, very lucky. I was 22 when I got Diner. And um, Barry Levinson, the director who did Rain Man and a bunch right. of other movies after that, was a writer. And he wrote Injustice for All, the Al Pacino movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, this was his first directing gig. Um, and he cast Mickey Rourke and Kevin Bacon and Paul Reiser, Tim Daly, Danny Stern, yep. uh, Ellen Barkin. And we were all very, very ambitious actors who wanted to get ahead in life. So every day was uh, a fight. You know, who was going to get the lines and who was going to get the, uh, you know, the best moments and stuff. Uh, but it was a great, a great experience. We shot in Baltimore. 
So that was wonderful. Anybody here from Baltimore? Been been to Baltimore? Like been, Baltimore? Been to, been Heard to of Baltimore? Baltimore? Yeah. Okay. I always Their baseball team. You got to try to get people to really raise their hands. <laughs> Places with a B. Yeah. All right, B. All right. Yeah, Baltimore. So anyway, well, I, I want to be as exciting up here because there's so many celebrities. You know, usually um, we live. You know, actually, my wife and I moved from New York to L.A. And everywhere you go, there's a celebrity. You know, it's like you know. You sit down, there's Tom Cruise, ah, oh, there's Tom Cruise, you know. Um, and then, um, you know, you don't feel, but then when, once in a while, like, you go to a, a town that you're the only celebrity, it's cool. It's like, you know, you're sitting at a diner, they go, oh, Mr. Gutenberg, no, no, no bill for you. You know, I go, oh, I'm a celebrity. What town then, is that, though? It's, yeah, some, Des Moines, Some place Iowa. is Schenectady or but something? But I have my funny Tom Cruise story. Okay. So... I got off a plane late one night, and I go to have dinner at a place called Crustacean, which is a restaurant in Beverly Hills. So I go in there, it's about 10.30, and they're just, they're gonna close at 11. So I walk in, and, uh, and, I, and they go, oh, hi, I go, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> My God, what are you doing here? I go, I got off a plane, I'm looking for an open restaurant, you're the open restaurant, so I'm here. So he goes, oh, I gotta tell you, what a fan I am, I'm I, out of my mind over you. I go, well, that's so great. And he goes, and whoa, get out of the way. Tom Cruise is here. And literally threw me into like bushes on the side of the restaurant. And in comes Tom Cruise. He goes, hey, everybody. And he got like two big bodyguards. And they go, Mr. Cruise, I can't tell you. You're my favorite actor. I can't believe you're here. And he goes, yeah, I just got off a plane. And I'm thinking to myself, he's on my same fucking plane. So he goes, well, it's, it's a chair. We got a table right here for you and your, you know, your monsters. Okay, great. And he walks in. And then he goes to the, I'm getting myself out of the bushes, you know, and he grabs me up, you know, and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry, but, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, I go, that's no problem. <laughs> so he goes, you can sit at the counter if you like, you know, I go, all right, you know, we got some day-old bread if you don't mind. That's my Tom Cruise story. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good story. Yeah, it was a terrible story, but, you know, for me, it was terrible. But it, there was a time where you couldn't walk down the street because at the height of Police Academy, at the height of Short Circuit, cocoons coming out, it's a massive success. Your face is everywhere. So there, there was a voice. People could do your voice. People were impersonating you. Yeah, impersonating me. And my check. There were a lot of checks yeah. with my impersonation. Now, you know what the true thing about being an actor is? <laughs> is, to me, this is the celebrity part of it, which is wonderful. But it's the vig, it's the juice off what you're really doing is the art of being an actor, your craft. That's how everybody gets to be famous or in good movies or in good stage or television is by learning your craft. I never wanted to make a lot of money as an actor. I always wanted to be an actor. I love the classics. I love Cyrano and I love Lear. And I love my, uh, my, my I love, um, uh, I want to play Willie Loman, you know, mm. and I, I've been in Death of a Salesman. I've been on Broadway twice. I've done tons of community theater. I studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse. I studied at the studio. Um, I studied at the HB, Herbert Berghoff Studio. I've studied privately. I memorized poems. I've memorized passages from Shakespeare, from the sonnets. That's what my love is. And the fact that I can make a living at it is, I think, a dream come true. I'm an artist. I paint. You know, millions of people paint. Very few 
can make a living at it. And I feel very lucky, as I'm sure a lot of other artists feel, that I can make a living, that I can support my family. The last time I was a waiter was I was 18 and a half years old. And I was very lucky that that was my last waiting job. But this is all I'm good at. The only, if I couldn't make money being an actor, I'd have to become a waiter, which is not a bad thing, because I was a great waiter. But I feel grateful. So an artist paints pictures. And some years, everybody buys your paintings. And there are some years where they don't buy your paintings, but you're still painting. So there are years where I'll have a hit come out. A, a, a lousy example is Veronica Mars. I did, okay. I played a pedophile. Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> I got a call from Rob Thomas. I was at my house. You know, he calls, he goes, uh, hey, Steve, it's Rob Thomas. Oh, I'm Rob Thomas, you know, you do Veronica Mars. Wow, you're a big time guy. You know, how you doing? He goes, good, good. He goes, you got two minutes? I go, yeah. He goes, I want you to be on Veronica Mars. I go, Veronica Mars is a popular show. You want me to be on Veronica Mars? Yeah, I want to be on 10 episodes of Veronica Mars. I go, that's incredible. I go, you know, I could use a little boost right now, you know, a little something right now. So thank you. I go, T tell me about the part. He goes, you're not going to like it. I go, well, let me be the, you know, I'm an artist. You know, let me choose what I like. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I like some of the 1940s Spanish Revolution, uh, you know, some of the very angry paintings that came out of Spain and Germany during the Holocaust. Some of that art I really admire, you know, the painful art. So if this is painful, tell me. You know, I love painful art. He goes, you're not going to like it. I go, just tell me what it is. He goes, you're going to be a pedophile. I think to myself, he didn't say fucking pedophile. <laughs> Who's going to fucking play a pedophile? And on Veronica Mars, is it going to be a fucking pedophile? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I said, what, did you say astronaut? He goes, no, I said pedophile. I go, you mean like a pedophile? Like, and I told him the definition of a pedophile. I said, this is, the, by the way, the definition of a pedophile. And a friend of mine from Ireland goes, a pedophile. So yeah. I go, uh, he goes, yeah. I go, well, you know, um, mm, uh, can I read it first? I, he goes, yeah, let, let me sh send it to you. Send me, a guy comes over like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, television's fast. So there's a guy at the door, he goes, here's the script. I go, all right. I read the script, and it was pretty good. So, and that, that part for that year or whatever, I was very popular as a pedophile. <laughs> but, you know, like a nice pedophile, you know. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, as, as they go, I was like a nice one. But I said, to, I said Bob, you to blow me up at the end, kill me somehow at the end, because, you know, pedophiles got to be killed. So he said, how about I blow you up in an airplane? I go, that's the way. So, <laughs> you know, so that year I was famous for being a pedophile. But what happens to, and then the next year I did Shakespeare in the Park. Now 300 times 20, so maybe, you know, 5,000 people saw me. But that was very generous work for me. But you're not going to walk on the street and people go, oh my God, I saw you as, you know, in Henry V, you were great. No, no one gives a shit. But if you play a superhero, oh my God, I saw you as Duty Man. You're amazing. You know, everyone crowds you. They want to crowd Duty Man and touch Duty Man. You know, so 
there have been years where my paintings have sold mm -hmm. and everyone wants my paintings in their house. And there are years where I still paint, but those paintings don't get into the house. So I've had wonder, I've always been lucky that people recognize me because that means that my stuff is selling and sometimes more and, and less, it depends on the year. But I'm, I've always been, you know, my brother who owns a pizza shop in uh, Massapequa, Long Island, always says the business has been a little better than terrific to you. And I go, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, just so you know, in about five minutes, we're going to start to take your questions. So if you want to come up with some ideas and, and whatnot. Uh, we or I can give you questions. Yeah, he, he'd like to interview you. Interview you. Um, you mentioned you wanted to read it when you're talking about the Veronica Mars. When you read something, can you conceptualize the way it's going to resonate with fans? And I'll, you, you can use any one of your examples, but Police Academy. When you see that on a page, can you see how it translates and how audience members will gravitate toward it? Well, you know, with movies, especially popular movies, commercial movies, I'm a real commercial movie fan. My first movie was to see was um, Help with the Beatles. Yeah. And, um, and then the James Bond movies. And this is 1965 or you know something, I was seven years old. But I'm a real commercial movie freak. I like action movies. I like Marvel movies. I really like commercial movies. And there's a, there's a formula to commercial movies. There just is. And if you watch a lot of commercial movies, if it doesn't follow the formula, or at least twist it around so at least it's a backward formula, you go, this movie doesn't work. So when I read Police Academy, I said, this reminds me of a combination of Stripes mm. and Officer and a Gentleman. Mm. That the guy had some integrity, but he was a bit of a fuck off, <laughs> but he had some integrity. <laughs> and you know, the, the institutionalism of the army or you know, the police department. And I thought it was gonna be a hit. So it was offered to Michael Keaton, who turned it down. Then it was offered to someone else who turned it down. So they, I just came out with Diner, and they had an odd, they, they interviewed me. And it was between me and David, uh, who did the Dr. Pepper commercials, great actor, David Naughton, who's a great actor. And we both screen tested. And I wore my father's Police Academy shirt, <laughs> an actual Police Academy shirt. So the way the story goes is they had the screening, and if anybody here is anti-Semitic, you're not gonna like what you're gonna hear. So um, I'm just saying, you know, anti-Semitism, if you don't like Jews, you're not gonna like this statement. So um, we're, I just, just wanna tell you. So, um, so. Update your notes. I just wanna tell you. So if there's anybody marching today, you're not gonna like this story. So, you know. Uh, so, you know, with the, the you know. So, um, so they do the screening in the Lad Company, Warner Brothers, and they show David Norton's screening, uh, screen test, which was excellent. I've seen it, it's excellent. Then they show my screen text, my screen test, which was excellent. And it was a great part, so it's hard to screw that part up. So they're sitting around, they're going, ah, I like this guy, I like that guy. So this guy, Jay Cantor, who was the vice president of the lad company that was producing it, stood up and said, I want the Jew. 
there was quiet in the room, you know. Alan Ladd is not Jewish. So his father was short, but not Jewish. And uh, they looked around, and nobody had an opinion. Everybody was like, they're both great. And they said, well, we take the Jew. All right, let's go, let's go, that's it. Somebody has an opinion, nobody had an opinion. And that's how I got the part. And it turned out to be, you know, a seminal movie for me, so I was very lucky. That's yeah. how it happened. Um, anyway, if anybody's marching, you can leave now, and I know it's going <laughs> to march piss right you out off, of here. Piss you off, you know, I know. Um, anyway, but Jesus, you know, was Jewish. So for everybody knowing, just want you to know, we're all a little Jewish. Hate to tell you. You know, you don't want to know that, but it's true. All of us are a little bit. How, how do I follow that? I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look at him. I mean, he's up there, and, you know, they, if he came up today, he'd go to a deli. But, like, where's the deli? <laughs> I mean, he would. He was a rabbi. I mean, what do they eat? What the hell do they eat? They eat corned beef and they eat knishes and what, what do they eat? The, you know? <laughs> I mean, what do they, you know, everybody, all the, at, you know, the, the, nope. the, the, the round, the table, you know, they, the, the Last Supper was Passover. Yeah. That's what they're sitting there going, so how, what do you do? What do you do? I'm a carpenter. I do this. I, you know, that's the conversation at the table. Anyway. Jackie Mason did a whole stand-up routine on that. I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, it's Friday. It's the Sabbath, you know, for the Jews. So just saying, if anybody has to go to temple, leave now, and I'll give you notes on the rest of the... Anyway, you don't get a lot of Jewish stuff. You get a lot of superhero stuff, yeah. which is actually there's no religion unless Krypton, that's your But the religion. people who created know. Superman are Jewish. The guys who created Superman are Jewish, and Jor-El <laughs> is Jewish language. Yeah. Your L, because if you meet a lot of people from uh, from Israel, they're you know they have L at the last of their name. That's right. You know, Jor L. So actually, you know, it's Jewish, and the S was Jew. You know, it's Jewish. It's all Jewish. I have one superhero Jewish joke. Go ahead. You want me to do a superhero? This is See, a rough crowd. You all saw. You all saw. You all saw Wonder Woman, right? Wonder Woman. Gal Gadot was was brilliant as Wonder Woman. She can only do one accent. She can't do a British accent or an American accent. She can only do an Israeli accent. Her given accent. Her given accent. That's the only dialect in which she can speak. Sure. So rather than have her be like the fish out of water, the director, Patty Jenkins, decided to have all the Amazons speak with an Israeli accent. Wow. That is my Hebrew school fantasy. Wow. That is awful. <laughs> like, God. All I needed was like Sheket Bavakasha, and like the next thing you know, like that would be all these hot Jews, right. <laughs> six foot Jews coming at you, hot six foot Jews. In exactly. You don't get many of those. There's not a lot of those. A lot of smart though. You want to go to a Jewish doctor. Just telling you if you would do Jewish doctor. That's what Everyone always said, "What's your favorite part of Wonder Woman?" I said, "That, that, that is, that's, that's great." All right, who's got questions for Steve Gutenberg? All right, sir. Yeah, they are. They're, you know, they've done a ton of them, a ton of scripts, and nothing has worked, but they want to do, you know, three men and a grandbaby, you know, where the, the bride and the, she has a baby and all that stuff. And I am actually meeting with um, uh, Adam F. Goldberg oh, on yeah. Monday, wait, Tuesday of this week, and he is interested in working on three men. And I think he would make a great, 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 he would do a great job on it. He's such a clever guy. Yeah. The Goldbergs and Schooled, 
he's a really clever writer, so there might be something happening there. And loves that time period. Like, yeah, loves oh, he the, loves it. Yeah, loves that he time loves period when all those those movies were out. Yeah. Who, who else? Over over here. Um, Cocoon is one of my favorite. Movies. Thank you. Great movie. I'm curious, having the opportunity to work with people like Hugh Cronin, Robert Brimley, John Amici, do you have any stories from working with these? I do. I do. Maureen Stapleton, who was always one of my favorite actresses of all time, we all lived in condos in Florida, and she lived right above me. So it was my job, when we got back from work, to walk her up to her place and make sure she got into her place. And then we would sit for about an hour, an hour and a half, and drink, drink wine. And I got blasted with her often. <laughs> and she told me great stories, great stories about the great directors, about her work on the Rose Tattoo. Uh, which is actually um, yeah. uh, Mira, no, not Mira Savino, but someone's doing it on Broadway soon. Uh, sorry? Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei is doing it on Broadway, and it was Maureen Stapleton's play. Um, so I, had a, I, I really learned a lot with her. Don Amici spent a lot of time with me. I took walks with Don. I was very smart. I've always been very respectful of the elders. You want to you learn, you want to be smart, talk to somebody who's been there. You know? So I spent a lot of time with them. Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy well, went out to dinner several times with oh, them. Wow. So I said, give me some advice. You know, this is a horrible business. Give me some advice. <laughs> they said, we got the advice. I go, great. You know, and they were very successful. And Hume was a great writer, too. Of course, Jessica was you know, the original in uh, Blanche and Glass Menagerie. And, uh, I mean, in uh, Streetcar so, and Glass Menagerie. So... Uh, they said, okay, guess. I said, well, guess, guess. The first one is study. Study, study. Study the classics. Learn the classics. Learn Moliere. Learn the French cinema. Learn great theater from, Long from, uh, from, 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 from um, London. Learn the great... They go, no, not important. Not important. Not important. Okay, what else? <laughs> uh, I said, stay off drugs. Stay off booze. Very important to stay straight. Keep your mind together. Not important. Drink as much as you want. Smoke as much weed as you want. <laughs> all right, all right. I go, but I, I, they go, guess again. I go, get, be polite. Be polite. Be easy to work with. Be nice person. You know, be, people say, oh, he's a great person to work with. They go, not important. They work with assholes all the time. They love assholes. This is the most <laughs> fucked up business in the world. They love the meanest people in the world. Don't worry about that. I go, I'm out. What do you got? They go, save your money. <laughs> that's it. That's the only rule. Save your money. I went, that's it? That's it. <clears throat> Dinner is over. Let's go. That was it. That was it. But <clears throat> I had a great time on that movie. A great time. In the, in the back over there. Tomorrow, my 61st birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Very happy. Very happy I made it. Almost made it. Right. Very happy. Yeah, thank you for what noticing. What about on this side? Over there in the back. Uh, you know, even though you work with all those great actors, I, I truly believe without your performance, I won't be one of the work. Thank you. Ron Howard is a masterful filmmaker. And thank you for the beautiful comment and the compliment. Um, 
You know, to be a great director, you have to be a lot of things. You have to know dramaturgy, you have to know plot, you know, you have to know characters, you have to know how stuff works, you have to know rhythm, you have to know pace, you have to be aware of the written word, of the written moment, of quiet, of beats. A lot of time, some of the best parts of a movie are the quietest. So he really knows that. He knows the camera, he knows lenses, he knows shots, he knows one of the greatest benefits that a director can know is blocking. Blocking is where the person moves in a scene. He really knows blocking. And, um, and he's very generous. Um, but he has one rule. Everybody can come, come up with an idea. I'm open to all ideas. But at the end, I choose the idea. And so he was very easy to work with and firm. And that's the kind of director you want. I was very, very lucky to work with him. Thank you for asking. All right, right here. Okay, so I have to admit, Dave, I grew up in the 80s, so I grew up watching Police Academy and all that when I was a kid. Um, but one of my favorite movies is the Santa Claus movies. Oh, oh. the Santa Claus movies. They were great. Yeah. Yeah. And so when the Santa Claus movies came out, and then right after was Veronica Mars, and I'm watching Veronica Mars, and then I'm like horrified, and I'm like, no, Steve Gutenberg is not the bad <laughs> pedophile. Santa Claus pedophile. Yeah. Something really weird there. It was the next year after. Like, yeah. Like, how, how did you come to that decision to actually take on that role after becoming Santa Claus? After Santa Claus? Yeah. Right. It's polar opposites. Exactly. Ho, ho, hoes. <laughs> Lots of hoes. Um, you know, I'm an actor, right? I mean, it's not real. You know, you just... It's job. He's a pedophile. He's grabbing. He's grabbing. He's grabbing. <laughs> yeah. What's happening here? It's Santa Claus. <laughs> what the hell? I know. It's disappointing. I know. I know. But when, but Kristen Ritter was my daughter. Pretty cool. Jessica Jones. But you know, it's, it's interesting being a cinema and television are different than theater because theater, you play lots of roles and no one questions it. You know, you're, <clears throat> you're Mercutio in Hamlet, or Romeo and Juliet, you're, um, you're Rosencrantz and Gilderstern in Hamlet, you're Biff in Death of a Salesman, you know. But when you play a character on television or film, that's very popular. People go, well, I would never believe Christopher Reeve as a killer because he was Superman. But we put so much of, the, of, of, of these boundaries on, but it's just a part. It's just a part. And I go to do other parts. So, you know, when you, it's theater, you go from one part to the next. You go, well, I can never see him playing Rosencrantz because he was Romeo. Well, no, you can do lots. So it's such a fascinating, television and movies have such an effect on us. It's crazy, you know? So I, I know what you mean. I would, you know, a lot of people come up and go, you're Santa Claus and you're a pedophile. What the hell's going on? <laughs> then you're a police academy. I go, it's work, you know, we're working. Does 
today's day and age where there's all these other outlets, there's you know, Netflix and Amazon and this one and that one streaming and you know, television's evolving, like, does that create more opportunities? A lot of people say the quality of the programs have risen a notch because of the fact that more money's being put in, the budgets are higher, and the, the, just the level of quality has risen. You know, I, I disagree that the oh. level of quality has risen. Hmm. Artists have always been making quality pictures, television, stories, sculpture, art. Sometimes the buyers don't recognize it. Mm. The only reason that they say this is the golden age of television because there's so much good television on is because the buyers have bought, bu have bought them. There's plenty of stuff sitting in people's drawers that are great shows that NBC did not buy. They bought Money Train. Because an Amazon or a Netflix didn't exist at that time. <clears throat> or Amazon has lots of turkeys. Netflix has tons of turkeys. Yeah. Everybody has tons of turkeys. So the fact is it's not any better now. Artists have always been writing great stuff. Sometimes it gets on the air and sometimes it doesn't. There's more chatter about it now. There's more social media. There's more news shows. You know, in the 50s and the 60s, when there was great television around, there was no Access Hollywood. There was no Entertainment Tonight. There was none of those shows. So no one talked about the shows. You either just watched the Beverly Hillbillies or you didn't. That's just how it is. No one was talking about it on television or in a morning show. Oh, Melissa, I watched Beverly Hillbillies last night. How was about that Mr. Drysdale? He's hot. <laughs> yeah, he's really sexy. I really, no one does that. Now you turn on every freaking show called, you know, The Cup, and there's seven or eight girls sitting around going, I watched, you know, Mad Men the other night, and it's amazing. It's the most amazing show I've ever seen in my life. Oh, really? You know, you've, you should see Game of Thrones. It's the most amazing show I've ever seen in my life. Oh, no, no, no. Let me, and everybody's, you know... So then you're sitting at home ironing, you know, you're going, oh shit, there's some great television out there. I'm not watching it. I'm watching you know, reruns of Mayberry RFD. What the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, the truth is there's always been great stuff. I mean, look at, the, look at Twilight Zones. Watch some of those. Rod Serling, look how we, the, the writing. Look at Patty Chayefsky on, um, I think it was Studio 90, or I forgot what it was called, live television. Watch Charlton Heston do live television and, you know, all the look at Robert Redford doing live television. You know, look at all the great stuff out there. Look at the great, look at Ingmar Bergman's movies that have been around forever. Watch some of those. There's always been great movies and television. Always been great. Just sometimes people see them and people don't. All right, let's go in the back here. Oh, no, they, um, the, the, the song was scripted. And uh, we, I remember if we had a uh, practice, you know, singing session. And um, it wasn't pretty at the beginning. It was, like, really ugly. And uh, then all of a sudden, huh? No, it was really, and then all of a sudden, Selleck started singing really well. Oh, la, la. And I'm like, 
fuck you, man. <laughs> you want to see some fucking see it? I'll start. And then I brought out my real voice. You know, and I'm singing. And then Danson's like, F you both. I'm going to fucking sing. I'm, I was on Cheers. Fuck you. So he came out and he started singing. And it came out pretty good. You know, we're actually not bad. We should, we should go on the road one day. Yeah. Over here. Did your, uh, did your father being a police officer have any... Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, the, uh, every comedic character, you have to have a basis of reality, so there's something to make fun of. So, if I played Mahoney sort of as a like super goofball, something would be lost. It's kind of like, it's kind of like having a conversation with someone. You can either be like, da, 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 or you can be like this, and then certain moments are bigger. So my dad was a very serious cop. He was on special ops. He was playing clothes. He was undercover. And uh, his partner was Sonny Grasso, who was the brother of you know, um, um, uh, you know the great movie um, um, French Connection. So they were crazy, and my father was, you know, my mother actually made him quit at one point because she couldn't stop. She didn't want to keep waiting for him to come home. So that part really helped me because although this guy didn't want to be a cop, when he did finally give into it, when he met Kim Cattrall, there was a basis of seriousness to it. So that helped the comedy, you know. So, yeah, I, I think my dad did give me a lot of help on it. Right about over here. Is there any part that you wouldn't play because it, took a, it would take a toll on you that you would imagine or you couldn't line up with it? Is there anything or do you think you could work it no matter what? Well, you know, um, it's a great question because I have a few friends. <clears throat> because I'm on stage, I can play a really vitriolic villain. But in film, because I have round face, round eyes, you know, I'm more, my look is more built for comedy. But I was trained as a dramatic actor. But on TV, you know, I could play a 90-year-old man on stage because you're sitting way out there and I'm in heavy makeup. And if the play is good, you can believe me. But obviously on film, it's different. So. There isn't a, pl a character I would say no to because, and I know a lot of people talk about that, I would never play that because it's going to perpetuate people's activities in the audience. I know that they just stopped the release of this movie, The, the Bait or, the, the what? The Hunt. Because they think that it's going to affect the audience. I don't believe in that. I believe the audience knows it's a movie. I believe that just because, you know, I do. I believe, the, I believe the audience is smart. They know it's a movie. So if I play Superman, I don't think everyone's going to go out and anybody's going to jump out the window. I'm Superman because I saw a movie. It's Superman. So there isn't a part <clears throat> that I wouldn't play because I'm an actor. That's what I do. So if I'm, I'm a painter, you come to me and you want me to paint you and your husband, your family, your dog, your house. I 
paint what you tell me to paint, because I'm a painter. I, and you said, I want you to paint a still life of fruit. I go, I don't do still lifes. I wouldn't do that. There are people who do. And I do not believe that art is what people imitate. Listen, there's always one in a million, but there are people who some, see somebody on the street acting a certain way, and they go home, they act a certain way. I think movies and theater and television has done more for society than less. So there isn't a part that I wouldn't play, you know. Um, you don't want me to put on the dress again, do you? Because that's, I'll do it, but you know, it's like getting tiresome. You know? Thank you for your question. All right, I got time for one more question. Let's go over here. That's so nice of you. Thank you. Sure, Bobcat Golfway. First of all, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to, because I know there's cause one more question here that okay. the gentleman wanted. Yeah, so I just want one more. Okay. But to give you a little, I'll tell you about that. But I just want to go for an aside. I just got back from San Sebastian, Spain about two weeks ago. And I just worked for Woody Allen on his new movie. And this is the second time I worked for Woody Allen. I worked for him on a play on Broadway called Relatively Speaking. And um, he's a brilliant filmmaker. Um, and his movie, Rainy Day in New York, just got chosen to open the Deauville Film Festival. So to give you a little idea of what I'm up to now, but I'll tell you about Bobcat. When I met Bobcat, he was Bob. He was Bob Goldthwaite. So whenever I see him, I call him Bob. And I forget his name is Bobcat. Oh, Bobcat. Yeah, yeah, Bobcat. So when we were working together the first time, I had a driver named Ann. It was my mom's name, actually. And she was beautiful. So she'd drive me to work every day. And uh, Bob would come up to me and go, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't talk like that. He goes, hey, Steve, uh, what's with your driver? And I go, what's with my driver? What do you, what do you mean? I knew what he meant. So <laughs> he goes, she's cute. I go, you want me to introduce you? He goes, sure. I introduce them. And they start becoming buddies and friends. And he later on married her. Oh, wow. And had a, a child with her. So that's my nice story. <laughs> so here's my other story. <laughs> so... I had a break from filming, whatever. I don't, I don't spend much time in my trailer because I don't think you learn anything sitting in that fucking trailer. You know, my trailer is bigger than your trailer. Oh, who gives a shit? So, I, once in a while, I go into the trailer to, you know, read my script or something like that. Just, that's all. I'm not going in there to watch TV or something. I walk into the trailer. Something's weird. Something's strange. Can't tell what's strange, but something's strange. Sorry. Walk around. Something's weird. Something's weird in this trailer. Somebody's been in this trailer. Someone's been in this trailer. Bob took a crap in my trailer. <laughs> and put it on like some sort of like little piece of cardboard or something. And it's sitting there and I went, I smell shit. I smell human shit. And I think Tim Kazurinsky helped him. And I saw Timmy this morning. I forgot to tell and I And that's, the bad, that's not, not a bad story. But it's like one of those stories where you go, he took a crap in my 
fucking trailer? I go, I'm never in there, and you're in there more than me. I think he was in there more than me. So that's my other story about Bobcat. But Bob, Bob is a great director and a wonderful man and a very, very friendly, giving fellow. If you ever go get the chance to see him on stage, do a stand-up. Oh, hilarious. Really funny and really smart. So, I, and a good director, yeah. Shakes, shakes the Clown, great. God bless America, great actor. Yeah, I love that. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's nothing like working with a villain because if you're the good guy, you know, you know your part. You know, it's like really great. You know, you're part, when you're with another good guy, it's good. But when you're with a villain, you can really get going. And he was a good villain, a really good villain. Another question? How much of that percentage-wise was ad-lib? How much of that was scripted? I'd say 80% was scripted. And Hugh Wilson was so funny on the set that he'd watch you, and everybody was a good actor. When he saw a moment where he goes, this is what you should do. So one of the scenes where um, at the very end when the, the sniper is shooting and he shoots at me, I run across the parking lot and he shoots at me. And Hugh said, wait, 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 wait a minute. When you're running, don't just run. Pick your feet up and say something. So I go, say something, say something. So I go, okay, okay. So we go, action. And I run and I shoot and I go, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And he goes, great, oh no, oh no, but not oh no, oh shit. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. I go, all right. Boom, bullets going off. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And it worked. And, it, and that was where a lot of the moments there, you know, someone call a veterinarian, there was like great moment. He came up, he goes, because I say, someone call a doctor. Someone call a doctor. He comes up, he goes, someone call a veterinarian. And I go, funny. And it was, you know, so yeah, we did a lot of that. A lot of that. Somebody else? Anybody? I don't want to. All right, we got time. I asked you this earlier. What about a reboot? Oh, Police Academy. Yeah, they're working on it. Key and Peel wrote a script. And it was not great, they, I heard. It's weird because, he's so, you know, they're such great writers and so creative. But you're not talking about a, a, a sequel. You're talking about a reboot. Well, There's you know, the, the next one, whatever they're going to make the right. next one. You know, I mean, all these, you know, everybody's got a, you know, everybody's got a different word for, let's do it a fucking again, all right? Let's make some more fucking money. You know, I mean, it's like Star Wars, the new, yeah, okay, let's make some fucking money. You know, after the first and second one, it was like, oh, we've got to create, we've got to continue, you know, the saga. There's so many people. No, we've got to make money for the studio, all right? Let's put it out. You know, Star Wars meets the dog, fine, put it out there. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, uh, Marvel, you know, let's put, uh, you know, a uh, duty man, all right, duty man, you know, Ant-Man, you know, whatever the fuck, you know, let's just keep it going, because the studios are here to make money. They're not here to make you fucking happy. They're here to make money. Now, if they make you happy, great, but if you go and hate a movie, but it makes a hundred million, they're going, that was a great fucking movie. So, all these sequels, all these reboots are, if you, and look at Broadway today, I mean, there are all these shows of movies, movies yeah. that you go, Pretty Woman, the fucking musical? Are you kidding me? Is that the shit that the only shit you can fucking think of? Give me a break. Come on. What the fuck? Think a little bit. What the fuck? But guess what? <clears throat> it made a million a week. 
It made a million a yep. week. Yep. And, you know, Baz Yurman's, uh, uh, what was the, uh, Moulin Rouge, right? Yep, yep. It's making, a, it's making two million a week. I mean, it was a movie. And now we're yep. making a musical out of it. So, listen, everybody wants to make money. So, you know, you, t you leave it to Beaver, the musical, whatever, you know. <laughs> And, I, and I'm guilty, because I've done a million sequels. So. Hey, man, it's been great to, to hear these stories. Does that mean goodbye? You're fucking, you're, you're tired. <laughs> We're tired of it. We want Zach Levy here. I had, I had a, we got, I had a nice send-off. I had a great right, closing. So I apologize. I planned it for days and days. Right, Steve you. Gutenberg, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. See you later. All right, we just got finished with the uh, Steve Gutenberg panel. How do you think that went? Did, 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 I enjoyed it. I thought I was great. I thought you were a little off. Something wrong today? You okay? Yeah, I wasn't feeling well. Stomach doesn't feel good, yeah. right? What'd you eat last night? You had that big hoagie? With well, my wife might listen, so it was a salad. It was salad? Yeah, sure, of course it was a salad. <laughs> yeah, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. No, I thought it was great. I didn't want to make any of the panel self-serving, right. but it's my podcast, so I can do what I want. Right. Um, Diner happens to be, in all seriousness, my all-time favorite movie. One of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, Vanity Fair voted it best movie in the last 30 years. I was glad to be in it. Barry Levinson, one of the greatest filmmakers of our modern time. So absolutely. It was, but <laughs> it, it was such a coming of age. Like I didn't, I'm, I'm a little younger. Uh, I didn't see it when it came out. Sure. I saw it later on. A friend of mine showed, showed it to me right as I was starting college. So I was in that age group sure. when, when those guys were. Um, just a, a fantastic thing. Sure. Like, tell me one, one scene that sticks with you one thing i just love the the scene um when tim daly comes to wake me up in the morning and, and he grabs your nose and he grabs my nose and i can't breathe and you know that's how i wake up that was great that was just great and he's a he's a terrific guy terrific. i liked uh i like when uh the, the lady comes down the stairs to check on the status of the test oh, and, uh, yeah. could go either way oh, oh other okay. either way either way okay, okay. <laughs> I just, I, I thought the sensibility was just something, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to kiss your ass. Like, no, but Barry I, Levinson is just one of the, you know, best filmmakers around, just great. He, he, it, and it seemed like everybody there loved being a part of it. Like, do you still talk to any of those guys? Yeah, like, I talk to those guys a lot. There, we actually, Paul Reiser, Danny, and me all got together at Danny's house. Uh, about six, eight months ago, six months ago. And then Paul and his wife Paula came to our house, my wife and I, and we had dinner with them. That's very cool. And I love how uh, Paul's production company is called Nuance Productions because he loves the word. He, he's having trouble with that word. Yeah, it's just a nuance. Just a nuance. Anyway, I just, I, I had to tell you, it's not very, I do interviews like this, you know, as a career, and I think in another life, you and I would have been friends. But I think that when, when I'm talking to a guy that happens to be a star in my all-time favorite movie, how do I not just make this a self-serving segment? Hey, 
you're you're obviously a selfish Jew, <laughs> and I could see you all over. All you people are, and I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get something from me. That's what you guys do. That's what you do. That's what you do. That's what you all do. Wait a minute. I'm Jewish too. Hold on. I stole the show with the Gal Gadot story. You did. You did. That was a great line. That was a great line. Hey man, Thanks, good to man. see you. Pleasure. Cheers. Bravo, bravo. He is. He's great. He's so good. He's very funny. And how about the Goldbergs, huh? You know, we haven't done a, an episode of the Goldbergs, and I kind of think the Goldbergs fits. I kind of am waiting for it to end, and who knows when it ends because network television is a, such a precarious place. I think the Goldbergs would probably be one of maybe three shows that I see that it's on network television. I'm thinking Family Guy, um, the Goldbergs, and This Is Us, and that and that's it. Uh, that that's that's really pretty pretty much it. Uh, so anyway. My thanks to Steve Gutenberg and the folks at Wizard World for the audio, as uh, we're thrilled to have these kinds of panels uh, able to be put on the Hall of Justice. And if you look through the history of this podcast, we have had uh, these kinds of panels, and you get some really big names that way. Uh, We have a really big name next week. Uh, All I can say is follow me on Twitter, at Seth underscore Everett. Uh, The tease will begin the minute this podcast is posted. We'll see you next week.